Welcome back, Patriots. This is part two of this episode of Conservative Daily Podcast. If you missed part one, you better go back and listen. Here we go. The reality of, of two years of people saying, what the hell's going on here at a national level? And so what that tells me is that the, that the people of America will have the capacity for someone like Hobbes to, to be the fraud that she is. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? Um, are, are we just going to troll her on social media and say that you're not the real governor while she signs bills that affect Arizonans? Um, so I don't know if I've seen enough righteous anger and indignation from the people of Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. I think the judge is probably looking at the collective pulse of the people of Arizona. And if, if, the sign of protesting or the fact that we didn't have massive protests weren't there. I think the judge is going to err on the side of doing something that's going to piss off we the people royally because he doesn't think we're going to do anything about it. That's my, that's my sense. Yeah. I think that has been a theme of the last, the last couple of years actually. And I, yeah, I think it's, it's one of the reasons I'm so adamant that people need to wake up and realize that, uh, you know, like as as you just said, you know, a lack of righteous anger. In in many ways, I think that's what has been killing us. Uh, because yeah, you know, again, that that as much as uh, people might say, well, yeah, but that doesn't equal a court decision. Yeah, sure, maybe not directly, but that puts people on notice. That lets the the individuals who might just be cowards, uh, or who might be on the fence, or who might be leaning. Uh, towards going with the establishment because they're part of the same system that, all right, you know, this, this game looks like it's about to come to an end and I don't want to lose all my chips uh, or, you know, I don't want to get thrown in the, uh, you know, in the monopoly gulag. Uh, yep. Cause I mean, you know, I think a lot, I think well, more I hearts and, and a lot more courage would be, uh, you know, would be instilled in people if, if the, the people actually grows up. Yeah, that it, we're still social put animals. Yourself the, put yourself in the shoes of the judge. If if we were able to galvanize the protest that we that we started, uh, you know, immediately after the election, we spent six days out there. If you had a hundred thousand angry, pissed off Arizonans outside the courthouse protesting, I think that judge would be a lot more worried about how he ruled in the motions to dismiss evidentiary rulings mm-hmm. and uh and ultimately the, the ultimate disposition of this case if you still had people out there and and so that's the power of protesting is that we the people show up and it's tangible and mm-hmm. thus far we haven't had any um you know creation of density where a judge has to worry about the impact of his ruling Well, you know, there is the argument that J6 was that, and we saw how they reacted and, um, you know, the measures that that the establishment went to um, chill and quell people's ability to organize and and protest peacefully and all that stuff. I mean, there, there still is that looming fear because the J6 prisoners are, are still in prison. They, they're not they're not following the law. They're political prisoners. And I think that that really has had a major effect in the U.S. Well, absolutely. And that was the whole point 
But mm-hmm. the problem isn't that that actually happened. It's the fact that everyone then went quiet. Everyone dispersed. Groups like Oath Keepers and, uh, you know, all, all like militias or even just, you know, patriot groups, they all dried up. Why? Because everyone was afraid to be associated with them, which means that people were afraid to be associated with like-minded people based on actual morality uh, morality and what they believed in and for uh, support for the country. And it, it, it wasn't actually Bingo. that they did Bingo. all those things. It killed the courage of the American people. The problem with J6 is that we stopped. Because if everyone didn't go yep. home, it wouldn't have mattered. None of it would have mattered. None of those people would be in jail. We wouldn't be here today. End of story. That, that, that's so right, Greg. And, and because you're looking at, you know, instead of, you know, you had about a million people there. I've heard that it was even more than that. The problem is that the million went home instead of another two million joining their ranks and then three million. And, and the reason why we can say that is that we just saw the uh, the omnibus bill that was just, um, you know, we're, we're sifting our ways through it. And, and just to the point of how far these, these criminals will go, the bill that we just reviewed provides $2.6 billion for U.S. attorneys, which include funding efforts to further support prosecutions related to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So... Mm-hmm. You know, right now, we're saying a, a Department of Justice that's prepared to make another 3,000 arrests related to J6 using 39, uh, you know, what billion dollars earmarked for them in the omnibus bill. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the world that we're living in. And until people realize that we are in a mode of basically, um, you know, win or be destroyed, you know, victory or death. I mean, we're there. And if we mm-hmm. don't see the government and the FBI and, and all the people that took over Twitter for what they are, they're not going to quit. I mean, once you commit a crime as great as a national coup in our elections, you have to double down. And so um, people have to have a much more mature attitude on how to go forward. This is, this is about breaking people's spirits and wills at this point. And, and mm-hmm. we've got to stop hoping that a judge will do the right thing. Um, you know, he's not. He's just not. Not based on anything we've seen over the past two years. Mm-hmm. Well, and think about, David, think about, you know, and it, again, it's a good thing. I don't want mean to, like, kill all the all the spirit of this. It's a good thing that all eyes are on Arizona. But, like, let's think about this truly. Even if the judge does that, like, let's say this judge says, okay, totally, yep, sides with the people, and then Carrie Lake gets put in. And then we have what kind of process they're going to go through. Carrie Lake's going to do investigations, et cetera, et cetera. But then, then what are we waiting for? Then we're waiting on how many more officials to do that. You know, how long does this actually go? And again, what you said about killing the will and the spirit of the American people, that's exactly it. And when we think about what you mentioned, uh, you know, what was in the, in that bill, I mean, they also put in a few hundred million dollars for uh, influenza and uh, you know surveillance technology because we know how, we know how well surveillance goes over in the United States when the government gets that. You think about comparing this to 9/11. Think about what happened after they did that. You had you know the big push. You police state uh, blossomed, and it, it's been 20 years. It's been over 20 years now. We still have naked body scanners in the airports. They're still touching people every time they fly domestically while our borders wide open. And then they lie about it. So what we're see- what we're seeing now after J six, uh, what the FBI is doing, 
and them using this geofencing data and just going and not actually having a crime, just saying who was there, and then they start to find people to target, uh, that's not going to go away. It's the exact same thing. Just like we still have uh, these protocols in the airports, just like we still have this massively overfunded uh, you know, security apparatus uh, you know, that we have in our airports now uh, that the taxpayers pay for to get molested every time we fly, the FBI, after all the things we've learned too, after you know, Russiagate, the Twitter files, all of these things, the election meddling through through Twitter and social media, all of this stuff, J6, the FBI is not going to go backwards. They're not going to all of a sudden stop using this technology. They, they have a precedent and they've been doing it and people haven't said, no, we've had enough of this. You don't get to do that. This is America. So like that will become if we don't stop this and we just keep waiting for people to save us or waiting for some court case to you know, topple the whole house of cards. Uh, it's going to be 20 years from now and maybe we'll get some concessions and we'll have the illusion of, uh, you know, of fixing it or we'll have the new version of transparency and accountability, like the new normal that they gave us the last few years. And 20 years from now, the FBI is going to routinely be looking at geofencing data just to see who might've been there at something that they deem wrong. And that's where we're going to be. And it's going to be just like the scanners at the airport. It's going to be normal. And everyone's going to forget that that was monumental and we're going to be paying for it uh, down the lawn, you know, down the road. And our kids are going to grow up in a world that is the epitome of a police state. Yeah. Well, what we're seeing is the, the pushing of the Overton window, right? I mean, what, what constitutes conservative in normal these days, uh, you know, I, I can't help but think that, you know, Ron DeSantis, for instance, everyone is praising him as this steadfast conservative. And, and I look at the decisions that, that he has implemented over the past two years, and I thought to myself, you know, 10 years ago, every Republican governor would have acted the same way. But that just shows you how the window's been pushed, and we've been, we've been uh, sold this idea that, you know, robust conservatism is, you know... It's, it's like special. This, it's basically... It's not special anymore. It's basically like, oh, my God, he's showing a level of common sense, and now we're praising him. It's like, where the hell is everyone else just deploying common sense to where you don't have a unicorn for a governor? Um, but that shows you how, how much the window has pushed, been pushed over to where all of us can maybe name one or two governors that we're proud of <laughs> as far as administration of, of how to defend people against big tech or, or mandates. And Florida is like, you know, a rare example of that. So uh, if, if we don't, you know, reclaim the mantle of we the people in a way that deviates from this bumper sticker notion of what's right and wrong and start showing up, whether it's at a protest, whether it's at local meetings, um, you can kiss your country goodbye. And so we've got like this drama in Arizona that we desperately want to see justice and victory. And, and I, I really want to make sure that people know that we are pulling <laughs> for Team Lake. We need a victory. We want a victory. We want that domino to fall. But don't lose sight of other little victories like in Georgia. You know, Fulton County, corrupt as can be. Uh, they just had a city within the county that's pushing back, not going to use machines, at the city level. And so you've got all of these different local patriots that are doing what they can to preserve a little bit of, uh, of what's left of America in their backyards. And that is the future. If people don't wake up and save their own backyards, 
don't expect Arizona to save you. You know, don't expect the Supreme Court to save you. Uh, the people got to be ready for it. Agreed. Right. Uh, Ken kind of asked in the comments what you thought about the Georgia decision. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I love the fact that they've opened up the door for them to reexamine uh, some of the cases uh, after finding that the standing ruling was um, was wrong, right? So the problem is, is, is whether or not in those original cases out of 2020, whether or not they actually preserved the ballot. Because if you recall, this past September, um, the statute of limitations ran for preservation of election materials related. So uh, the, the, the question that I have is, okay, unless you've still secured evidence from those lawsuits uh, in light of the Supreme Court rulings, where do you go from there? So that's the question to look out for in Georgia. But I'm actually uh, more excited about what happened in um, – one of the small cities, uh, there's a patriot by the name of Matt Roundjack, who has basically taken the county commission strategy and drilled down even finer and found cities, a city in particular, in Fulton County. And they're saying, we're not going to have Fulton County administer our elections. We're going to have our city do it. And guess what? We're not going to use Dominion machines. I think that's the future. Because, again, you're not waiting for a judge to do the right thing. It's we, the people, stepping up and saying, you know something? We'll, we'll handle our elections locally in our area. Uh, you guys step aside. Yep. I've always been surprised that um, there hasn't been a movement somewhere about uh, the budgetary argument of using paper ballots, hand count on the precinct level versus the massive cost with um, using electronic voting equipment. Um, when I was... Uh, working with Cause of America, that was one of the big drills that we were doing is getting all of the budgetary pieces pulled together in order for people to go to their local um, elections officials, um, city councils, to make just the plain old budgetary argument that we don't have the money to do this um, with with all this machinery that doesn't really work anyway, it kind of eliminated all of the political politicalization um, of the machines and whether or not they worked and all the data and all of that evidence and went attacked the problem from a different direction. So I'm hoping to see um, that Cause of America still follows through with that because the, the components were still there for people to take this um, kit of information, customize it for their own um, localities and make the budgetary argument for no more machines. Yeah, I think you're right. And just so people know, the, the city that I'm talking about is Milton. The Milton City Council basically voted to approve a detailed plan, which 100% excludes machine scanners and those devices and to usually and to use paper ballots. And one of the arguments in that was the budgetary argument that it was going to be basically a quarter of the cost of how um, elections are administrated in the, the city of Milton now. So they they found cost savings, and then they also are addressing the issue of public trust that no one wants to use the mini machines. So that's the budgetary uh, argument is huge. 
There's another uh, county in California that I'll be uh, going to in uh, January, it looks like, where they actually tabled discussion of renewing a Dominion contract to the tune of $225,000. And so we're going to raise the budgetary issues there as well. So, I mean, there's thousands of opportunities because you've got thousands of counties that can make mm-hmm. their own decisions on whether they're going to go forward with Dominion ES&S going forward. And, and we win the argument on budget, on, on, on there being a more efficient price tag. Yep. Yep. And that gets very difficult for uh, elected officials to uh, counteract because if they're seen as being wasteful, being frivolous with the budget dollars, uh, you know, that's their main, a lot, of, especially the county commissioners, that's their main goal. Uh, and the reason why they're in those positions is to manage the, the county budgets. And if they're seen and portrayed as being frivolous with taxpayer money, that will get a lot of people fired up. Even people who aren't um, 100% in on the election um, integrity issues, people can get behind budget issues, especially with the hard times that people are facing now and that will continue to plague us until the economy gets turned around. Amen. This episode of Conservative Daily is brought to you by DCF Guns. They're not just a supporter and a partner of the show. They're an organization that is on the front line of promoting safe and responsible gun ownership. Along with being a staunch defender of the Second Amendment, they have a lot of different things inside of their three ranges and stores. So they have a gunsmith at every location. They have the ability to do massive amounts of training, uh, anything from beginners all the way up to uh, competitive shooting. Um, They're also the best gun store in Colorado. Uh, Between a massive arsenal of top-tier firearms and competitive pricing on ammunition, they're a go-to resource for newcomers and expert shooters alike. Memberships there start for as little as $25 a month and offer an arsenal of benefits beyond that, such as store-wide discounts and special access to training. Even better, what you're seeing right now is DCF Guns also has an e-commerce option, meaning you can take advantage of the awesome prices without leaving your home. Just visit dcfguns.co and start browsing. I do want to tell you that as a listener of conservative-daily.com, you get an additional 5% off everything in the store. You have to use discount code Joe. That's J-O-E. That's discount code Joe. Go to dcfguns.co and use discount code Joe. J-O-E. That's me. Or it's coffee, cup of Joe. Um, But you can go there and save an additional 5% off every single thing on the site. Um, As always, we'll keep the range hot and the deals hotter only at DCF Guns in Castle Rock and Colorado Springs and now online available to everyone across the entire country. Well, uh, both of you, I want to thank you. I think we have CanCon jumping on here. Uh, He's going to come in by audio. I know he's traveling. Um, So I don't know if you have a few more more minutes, David. Uh, But I want to thank both of you. Holly, I know you've spent a lot of time here with us today. Thank you. And David, I know you're tireless. Uh, you are, you, both of you are warriors and we're, we're very, very lucky. Uh, you know, what we're seeing is just insane. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. I'll dip. So, um, CanCon can jump in and have a good conversation with the professor and, and with you, Apollo. I really appreciate it. And um, thanks to all the troopers on the Conservative Daily Chat. It was really fun talking to, to all of you today. 
Yeah, we've got some awesome people. And thank you, Holly. Yep, take it easy. Merry Christmas, Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. And CanCon, we've got you there. What's up? How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm exhausted. We, we did all seven hours of that today. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long day. I know uh, I, I, I saw you and Patel and, and a couple guys were, were rocking it today. Mm. Yeah, how you doing, Professor? I'm doing great, Brian. It's good to hear from you, brother. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Uh, was loving your um, your your commentary going in there. I was actually thinking about you a lot today as we were listening to this because um, it seemed like a little bit of a shit show, so to speak. And, and I apologize for the uh, the language, but I mean, uh, just so much stuff that was all over the place today. Uh, I guess when you have a, a case that you know is crammed into two days and you only have like a week to prepare it and everything else and uh just a really complex case uh you know you don't see too many election cases uh being argued so uh i i think overall they did really well today kurt olsen and, and brian blem were uh they did really well brian blem is a, is a scrapper man that guy was that guy was all over the place to just just laying it down i i, I really liked it yeah you know Look, it, it's it's like I said, difficult for me to to uh, watch other people try cases because I, I I really love <laughs> trying cases and and I I've tried about 160 plus um, to a jury over my career and and you you wonder but there's there's so much going on behind the scenes to be really fair to Kurt and um, and to Mr. Uh, is it Blem? Yes. Um, yes. Okay, and, and so. There, there are all kinds of monkey wrenches and hurdles that are going to be thrown at the attorneys, and a lot of that is done behind closed doors. Um, judges have, have uh, evidentiary rulings, and you just don't get to see that as a member of the public. Um, I can tell you right now, the court imposed major limitations on their case by stripping you know, 10 counts down to two, and then even the access to the ballots was insane to me because it was very reminiscent of what we saw with risk limiting audits here. You can have a small, small sample. And the good news is even with that small sample, they showed all kinds of fantastic evidence, but it was a limitation that, that really shouldn't have been there at all, but the judge placed it on them. They should have had as much access to as much evidence as they could get, they could get their hands on and, and provide that to the court. That didn't happen. Um, and then again, I think that the one thing that I'm scratching my head on, and I've heard the theories that there was a, there's a reason why they did not subpoena Katie Hobbs. I'm not persuaded. I think that you put the biggest names, um, that, and she's your chief elections officer, and you go to town and hold her accountable for all of the so-called oversights of your minions down below, um, because it also feeds the issue of, the fact that she should have never been um, overseeing the election to begin with um, as a candidate on the ballot. Yeah, I, well, so I thought that the way that they reduced it down to count two and count four, I didn't think that she was going to be relevant there. And and hearing at the end how, how limited they were on the time that they were allotted, uh, I thought that made sense. What really kind of threw me for a loop was that they didn't bring in the runback whistleblower. Uh, this Denise Marie woman that was, you know, working behind the scenes, so to speak, not behind the scenes like she was doing it deliberate, but 
you know, the one that witnessed a lot of this stuff going on at Runbeck, they didn't bring her, uh, but they, they're, they're going to bring Richard Barris tomorrow, who's the, you know, the pollster that's going to uh, testify to the numbers, it seems. Um, that was a little bit strange to me. And then the other thing that really just irked me, I think Kurt Olsen did a great job. So did Brian Blem. But what the heck was that Sonicler guy doing, staying in the courtroom, being a lawyer, knowing he should have known better? Like, that's something, if, if it does get ruled in their favor, I mean, wouldn't that be grounds for an appeal? You're going to have to educate me on that. I didn't cover all seven hours like you did. What happened there, oh. Brian? Oh, the guy so was sitting so- in the courtroom for like an hour and a half, and then someone brings it up. I'll let you, I'll let you go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Sorry. This is so Sonicler was one of the roving attorneys for Carrie Lake, and the defense is all of a sudden like, hey, Your Honor, he needs to be out of the room. And the judge is like, he's been there for an hour and a half. And they're like, uh, he's a witness. What the hell is he doing in the courtroom? And then sure enough, they called him. He was the next witness. Oh, that is a big deal. Okay, so so folks that don't know this, when you said he was an attorney, uh, I, I was like, well, that's that's not a big deal. But if you are a witness, a fact witness, and you've been put on notice that you're going to be called, then at every trial, the attorneys do this thing where they invoke the rule. It's just called the rule. And, and the rule is, is just this, that you don't get to benefit and sit in the peanut gallery and listen to everyone else's testimony, unless you're an expert. Experts can actually sit in and listen to other witnesses testify in the formation of their opinion. But if you're just a fact witness and you've been put on notice, that that is a problem. Um I don't think any of the parties, though, would want to ask for a mistrial because then that means you, you basically have the option of having a new trial. And uh, I don't think any anyone on team defense wants a new trial. I know that uh, everyone feels fortunate that Team Lake even has a trial. So I, I think that's going to be one of those errors um, that really I think people will basically swallow. Gotcha. Well, you know, I, I think one of the things that I, I, I said today is I think no matter what happens in this trial, I mean, this is going to go up. Uh, Carrie Lake has already made it clear that she will go to the Supreme Court. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure that that Hobbs is not simply going to roll over and, and die on this. Um, one of the things that we were discussing today, and Professor, I'd like to get your opinion on this, was uh, if, if they do rule... In, in Carrie Lake's favor, uh, we were kind of discussing what the relief would be. I, obviously, well, not obviously, but I don't think that they would, uh, you know, remove uh, Katie Hobbs as the governor-elect and seat Car- uh, Carrie Lake. But I think what they would rule is to redo the election and probably uh, just that race since, since you know, the other uh, candidates aren't a party to this lawsuit. But if they did do that, and the judge ruled that it had to be a hand, a hand, you know, count paper ballots, no tabulator uh, machines. I was wondering, like, what is Carrie, what is Katie Hobbs's campaign do at that point? Because I, I firmly believe if they went to just hand marked paper ballots for that one race, Carrie Lake would probably win Maricopa County by five hundred thousand uh, votes. I, I think. Yeah. So, w- yeah. what do you think happens if Carrie Lake does? win this this case well we, we were kind of discussing that before you got on and the thought oh, I in my mind I'm was, sorry i don't think uh i don't think you're going to be able to just have a local election and, and 
I mean, you could try, but you're actually creating legal grounds for Katie Hobbs to say that there's a violation of equal protection because you're basically going to treat people in one race different than the way that people voted in other races. And so I don't know if she would raise that because that would actually open up uh, an honest election for all candidates to do it the same way. But what you don't want to do is have a basically a two-tiered election system where uh, one candidate gets the benefit of no fraudulent machines and a proper chain of custody while everyone else has to live with the results. So I think that, that Carrie Lake's lawsuit is foundational because if you if you make a finding that the the functionality of the equipment disenfranchised voters and that chain of custody was was beyond the pale you have to look at all of the races that were on the ballot not just carry lakes because there were more there were other races um so i think that the only way that you're going to have a a fair relief is to have a redo of the election top to bottom and treat everyone the same that's that's my opinion i think otherwise you're actually creating uh many many legal issues yeah, see, the, the one thing that I was hoping, and I and I, I do think you're right, Professor, that if, if there is, if, there, if they do rule in their favor, you have to look at all of the races and not just the top of the ticket, you know, the, the five races that we're talking about in, in the public. You have to look at literally every single one, which makes a, a hand recount extremely difficult to do on that. So that's why I was kind of wishful thinking that Carrie Lake would get it by herself, you know, to get that get that election by herself. And then from there, it just opens up Pandora's box. How do you go from losing on the tabulators to winning by however many votes on on a hand hand marked paper ballot? Yep. So that's just wishful thinking on my yeah. part. Well, I think but it's but it's necessary. You know, the, the thing that we we need to brace ourselves with is that the, the only future that we have as Americans for elections going forward is to be able to do hand counting in small precincts going forward. And so what we need to look at is, is don't worry about how difficult it is. We need to create the, you know, the budget and the manpower to do just that, which is to have hand counting all the way through, because then, then you don't have any questions surrounding this. If you go ahead and do another garbage election with garbage machines, then you're actually opening yourself up to a whole nother lawsuit based on the things that we've been talking about in the past, which is let's let's bypass the issue of functionality uh, where, you know, machines were malfunctioning on a day that disproportionately affected Republicans. When the machines, quote unquote, work, what do they do? They have the ability to select candidates in a predetermined fashion. So um, we, we keep gl kind of glossing over the fact that it's really not about whether the machines work, because when they work, guess what? They don't work. <laughs> They're designed yeah. not to work correctly. So, you know, we have to foundationally say, look, uh, let's think of this in terms of like Motor City, Detroit. There's a time where it took a really long time to build a car. And then we got to the point where from start to finish, you could build a car in, in one day, you know. It's the same thing. We just need to adequately staff enough precinct locations that have enough paper on hand to get done with an election in one day. And it's just a matter of scaling. It's really not that difficult. We've, we've just kind of been mesmerized by the past 20 years in the name of 
computerized efficiency. But there was a time when this is exactly what we did in Maricopa County, and we did it for the, for the better part of 150 years. And remember, we do have an excellent sponsor of the show, and that is Air Medcare Network. So today's podcast is, again, sponsored by Air Medcare Network. And if you live in a rural area that's hard to reach by road, or if you like to hike or spend a lot of time outdoors or do uh, you know dangerous things like some of us like to do that may require some emergency medical attention, we all want to make sure that our family is protected in a medical emergency. Uh, and health insurance will not always cover the cost of an emergency medical flight if, in fact, you do need one. But with Air Medicare Network, you are covered. For as little as $85 a year, not only you, but your entire household will be covered in case you ever need air medical transport. Uh, this is a super, super good deal, very low cost, and it's insurance that if you need it, you do want to make sure that you have it. I know people personally who have had to cover those costs, and believe me, they are very expensive. So simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash daily and use promo code daily. Receive up to a $50 Visa gift card back when you sign up today. That's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and promo code is daily. Go check them out. Well, and again, David, I mean, just to add to that, even with the machines and what they do with the ballot, the, the COVID nonsense, you know, started this, this centralization uh, push in such a big way. It moved things so, uh, you know, so far towards where we are now because they used to have, you know, much more localized areas uh, and they pushed everything now to these central tabulation centers or the, the central voting centers. So they got rid of all the churches, all the things that they shut down. I mean, like there are, there are some aspects of this which are very recent uh, and, they, and they want us to act like this is the only way that we can do things. Yeah. I sent you, Apollo, I sent you. Sorry, go ahead. I've got, I've got your image, uh, CanCon. David, did you have something? I just wanted to leave people with the notion that it's really not rocket science. This is really about numbers. And if you've got enough people and a budget set aside to pay people to count votes, and you've got printers that can print paper, then that's your solution. I, I think people are overthinking. If you've got a space for people to count, and you've got a Democrat representative, a Republican representative, and a you know independent, that's all you need is just adequate staffing. And you've got millions of people in Arizona that uh, could fill those roles. And I think they would jump at the opportunity to fill those roles if it meant getting an election that they could believe in. Hundred percent. Absolutely, um, Apollo. I sent you. Uh, the, the, that's actually a picture of one of the ballot on demand, nineteen-inch ballots versus a twenty-inch ballot side by side, um, and you can see uh, the difference in the timing marks. If you look at the very top and the very bottom, well, you know what difference an inch actually makes and how those ballots are ran. Uh, Carrie Lake War Room retweeted this from Kate Awakening, but I unfortunately cannot get on Twitter because I'm still banned. So, yeah, there you can see right there in that picture uh, the, the, the difference in the size of these ballots from one to the other. So, you know, this is something we see uh, looking at. Uh, this is something I was talking about that the kind of comparison between 
uh, a lot of these places that we saw, you know, Antrim County obviously had a lot of discrepancy. Um, uh, DeKalb County in the 2022 primary had a lot of discrepancy. And now Maricopa twice has had a lot of discrepancy. And what I'm seeing, like a reoccurring theme, is processes that are done that force these ballots to go to adjudication or, you know, in, in this case, duplication, which is basically adjudication. Um, and and I, I just can't help but look at that and think that that's the common theme, that there's different ways to force the ballots to get to that point. You know, in DeKalb and Antrim, it was leaving or removing a candidate from the ballot that changed the ballot uh, last minute, which caused the, the, the anomaly and error to force uh, adjudication. And in, in Maricopa now, we're seeing a ballot that Scott Jarrett testified there's no 19-inch ballot. We would know if there was. And, I mean, clearly there is. And it's sending them to adjudication as well. And I thought, you know, the, 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 uh, the defense attorney there was going after, um, was going after, I believe it was Clay Parikh yeah, about was, the, was. yeah, going, he was going after Clay about duplication and all that. I was actually a little surprised nobody uh, uh, on the plaintiff's side objected to that because they were, you know, going way beyond Clay's uh, expertise. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of the same same reoccurring theme. You know, the fact they went to duplication that doesn't matter. There's still and, and Professor, I know you know this very well from your experience out in New Mexico with the audits. There there is a, a, a limit to how many errors you're allowed to have, even if. It is an error that is by the voter. You know, if it's, if it's a voter error, I think it's only like one in 500. And before we move on, today's show is sponsored by Augusta Precious Metals. They help retirement savers use gold IRAs to diversify and hedge against this crazy economy. Augusta is different. They don't push fear and doom like some gold IRA companies. They're all about compliance, transparency, and educating people to protect their retirement. Augusta has thousands of five-star ratings and hundreds of great reviews. Their most famous customer, quarterback Joe Montana, loved the company's mission so much he's now their paid ambassador. Even Money Magazine says Augusta is the best gold IRA company. So don't get into a gold IRA nightmare. Protect your retirement savings with a reliable, transparent company. Get Augusta's free guide from their website. You can go to www.augustapreciousmetals.com. That is A-U-G-U-S-T-A, preciousmetals.com. A company that puts its money where its mouth is. Love it. Get the Augusta Precious Metals free gold IRA guide at www.augustapreciousmetals.com and do something now about protecting your retirement. Yeah. Yeah. When you start looking at just, uh, you know, some of the things that we look at is HAVA, and people have forgotten to help the America Vote Act and some of the standards are there. But you can have one machine error. Uh, I think it's one for for every 125,000 voting opportunities. So, you know, it depends on how you're going to categorize machine error here. But if you're just following a plain reading of HAVA, when 40% of your tabulators malfunction, uh, you're, you're definitely uh, violating the Help America Vote Act. So, yeah, it's, there, there's so many different wrinkles here. It's just a question of uh, what is the judge giving you to work with going forward? And, and uh, so I'm, I'm interested in seeing what Kurt Olson and his team do tomorrow. Um, 
like you, I'm kind of scratching my head that I think it's essential they have to have a whistleblower from run back establish a, a greater level of culpability um, on the chain of custody arguments um, because the judge has basically articulated a legal standard that's very, very tough to prove. And um, so I think you're going to need whistleblowers. You're going to need more than just uh, people seeing, saying and testifying what they saw on election day. It's got to be someone from inside the, the beast. And uh, that was that was what we were led to believe, that there was two whistleblowers that were going to uh, kind of drop the bomb. And so let's see what happens tomorrow. Is there a chance that they could still call that whistleblower? Because, I mean, I thought they said they only had one more witness. Well, he, he, you're not technic, technically you're not done until you've rested. And uh, right. the only thing that they've got to pay attention to is, uh, you know, they could say, Judge, we, we, missed, we made a mistake. Uh, we actually have more than one. But once you kind of tell the court what you're going to do, it's just bad form to backtrack on that. But I've had instances where we approach the bench and say, Judge, we thought we were just going to have one evidence. But after review of our notes, it's essential that we have one other witness that we haven't rested yet. And the judge really doesn't have a legal basis uh, to say no, unless you've had a stipulation where uh, you've said, okay, I've already allocated this much time for the, for the plaintiffs and this much time for the defense. And if I rule in your favor, we're going to cut into the time of the defendants. Uh, and we've already told everyone we're not going into day three. So that would be the one factor where the judge could sit there and say, nope, you're not going to have another witness. But uh, there are arguments to be made for sure. Um, one last one last question, Professor, and then I'll 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 kind of let you close this out. But um, uh, the judge keeps talking about um, you know closing arguments and everything in this case. I think he's mentioned how how I I don't want to say significant, but he's mentioned closing arguments at least you know six or seven times that I can think of. How how significant in a case like this are closing arguments going to be? Um, you know, where, I mean, I don't know what the defense is going to, is going to close with because they, I, I'm curious to see their, their witnesses tomorrow, but how significant is that going to be to the judge's decision here? You know, in a bench trial, I don't think it's very significant at all. I think the judge has basically already made up his mind. Uh, okay. And we'll sit there and listen attentively. Uh, I mean, the judge is going to be, focused completely on the record that's been established and he's going to follow the, the legal elements of whatever case is being presented as the standard. And I think that's the more decision. Um, it's you now closing arguments for juries on the other hand are crucial. It's your, um, it's your opportunity to assemble all of the stuff that might've seemed mundane and you make it pop because you could basically filter out all the boring stuff, all of the confusing stuff, all the interruptions through objections, and present a clear case. Now, you can still do that with the judge, but typically the judges, um, they're not like jurors. They're, they're paying attention constantly to the law, and they're trying to figure out whether or not you've got a factual predicate that supports the law. And the reason why they have to do that is in every single case after the plaintiff's rest, the court will allow the other side to basically argue, you know, 
this thing called directed verdict. Now, it's a little bit different in civil proceedings, but they have the equivalent of a directed verdict where the defense can say, based on the law, judge, the, the plaintiffs have not put on evidence that satisfies all of the legal elements. And as a result, we're going to ask you to dismiss their case, even without us putting on a case. And that happens in every trial, um, less so in civil cases, but it can be done. Um, so that's the reason why a judge would pay really, really close attention during testimony in a way that's unlike your, your typical layperson or juror. Um, but I, if you're asking me for my unfettered opinion, I think the judge went into this trial and basically already has his mind made up. He's just looking for a way to put a bow on it, uh, whether that's for good or bad. We'll see. Awesome insight. Appreciate it, Professor. Yeah, Professor, oh, we pleasure. also uh, we have a, a lot of uh, requests for you to end the show in prayer, if you're willing to do that. Oh, okay, let's, let's do this. All right. Oh, dear Lord. Lord Jesus, we are um, so desirous of justice, and that's what the cry out is for today. Uh, all the questions that are coming in on the live live chat, the people that are commenting on social media, people just want to be heard. And so, Lord, we, we ask for your favor and blessing upon uh, the plaintiff's team, not because they're the plaintiffs, but because we know the truth. We know what we saw on November 8th. And uh, we want our voices back. We know that you are a God that, that uh, loves accurate weights and measures, that does not like, um, you know, fraud or lying or slander. And so we ask for vindication and for a special protection on the attorneys. We pray for a special blessing on uh, Mr. Blem and Mr. Olson, and uh, they're resting tonight if they can get any going into day two. We pray that they would have sober and sharp arguments and that you would work on the judge's heart tonight. Ultimately, this is going to come down to the courage of one person, and that's the judge, because the judge is going to have to issue a ruling. So we pray that you would have uh, miraculous working tonight on the judge's heart and mind to do the right thing, uh, to not be uh, aside by legalism that, that uh, shrouds and, and, and provides secret um, ways to work around justice. And, uh, Lord, we also ask for a spirit of revival uh, across the nation and in Arizona in particular, where people will just be so sick and tired of putting up with uh, this circus calling elections. Um, but we would inhabit a, a, a places of people that love justice, that love clean elections, that, that love uh, doing the right thing. So we ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, gentlemen, I want right, to thank guys, you both. Go. Thank you. All right. It was great speaking with you, Professor. You too, Brian. Take care. All Thanks, right, Paulo. Take Thanks, care, brother. brother. You too. Thanks, Cancun. See you, brother. Um, whirlwind day, guys. Whirlwind day. I'll tell you what. Uh, so we've got another big day tomorrow, day two. Um, we also are going to, uh, we have uh, Jake Lang. I think we are going to have an interview tomorrow as well. Uh, calling in from the gulag, you know, and this is why stolen elections matter, because we still have Americans who are sitting in, in prison 
uh, being treated as animals because we have let ourselves grow apathetic. And so I want to echo that spirit of revival and pray that upon this nation. And, and also uh, a thanks and a blessing upon men like Brian and David and so many others who are, uh, you know, who are standing up and who are fighting. David Clements was in Arizona. He was, he was in Phoenix. Joe was in Phoenix. You know, how many, how many refused to show up? I think that wasn't important. The, uh, the willingness of the American people and of primarily not, not just the American people, because it's, it's not good to, uh, you know, make that some, some abstract concept, the, the willingness of each one of us individually to stand up and to show up, to make our voices heard courageously, even without others standing next to us. That is what is going to, to change the direction of what's happening in this nation and everywhere. It's what's been going on uh, in Brazil. And I have people arguing with me. It's not actually happening in Brazil. That's all a lie. It's not actually happening. They have, we have the same media, the same deep state that is going on everywhere. So knowing that it might not, uh, you know, the message will be suppressed. It will be twisted. I'm sure we're going to see a lot of spinning coming out of the uh, first day of trial today. And I'm sure we'll see that in the next few, in the next few days, but we have tomorrow to look forward to. And you know, this fight is going to continue. So we are going to hear, I know all of our friends who are doing good work, uh, you know, in other places are going to as well. So now we need to make a decision. Are we going to have the courage and the willingness to stand up ourselves individually? I use the term American people, we the people a lot, but we all need to make a decision individually because that is what predicates the American people being able to do anything. Us as individuals, as patriots, as men and women of God, as people with common sense who desire to have a future for ourselves, for our children, who desire to honor and to bring justice to our J6 defendants, to the people harmed by this COVID agenda, all the people who were disenfranchised, who had their votes stolen, who have had their country stolen, the people who are being ripped off by this Biden administration, to you know President Trump and all those who were booted out of office, to Carrie Lake, to all those people who have stood up, to every whistleblower who has come forward about election fraud, about the FBI, about all of these things. None of it means anything. Nothing that's happening on Twitter. Nothing. None of it means anything if we're not willing to have the courage and the willingness to stand up for ourselves as individuals. And as individuals, we are the heads of our houses. and We are the leaders in our community if we so choose to be. So that is the choice that we have in front of us right now. Um, so one more time before we close, uh, thank you to David. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to Ash, Holly, uh, you know, everyone who was helped out today and, uh, and Zach, uh, and thank you to all of you. You know, we are, we are truly here in this together without, uh, you know, without you all, without Americans who are willing to, uh, to witness this with us then conservative daily. Uh, you know, none of these other networks, we, we would have no purpose because our purpose is to serve you. It's to uh, help show you the truth and to show you the information, to give you, to, you the tools. 
And if we can, to inspire you to action, to have courage. So I love you all. See you tomorrow. We got another big day tomorrow. Uh, and, you know, Merry Christmas in advance. We have a most amazing time of year uh, coming up. So we will see you tomorrow. Love each and every one of you. I love this country. And I love God. And I know that he's on our side. I love Jesus Christ. And uh, he loves us in ways that we can't even comprehend. So let's recognize that. Let's be those individuals who are willing and able to stand up. God bless you all. And I will see you tomorrow.
remember the day that I came to you and asked for my dreams. And you told me yes and said don't complain when you get the things that come with it. I prayed for success, this comes with it. I'm chasing my dreams, but what does that mean if I am not happy? Thought this what I wanted, but it don't appeal to my satisfactions. It don't appeal to my satisfactions. But if I keep on going and I keep on moving, I know things will change. If I persevere and I keep pursuing things, they gotta change. Happiness can wait, gotta build up my name, gotta build up my name Where am I going? From here I don't know I need direction, show me where to go Gotta get back where I started, without you all I see is darkness And you're not to blame for these hardships, I'm coming back home to your heart, yeah Sincerely, oh. 